A lot of us get into leadership roles because we were pretty good as an individual contributor, and then we find ourselves in a place where the job is more about leading than it is about doing. That happened to today's guest, too. And in this Saturday cast, we discuss how to make that transition. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 602. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. This is one of our Saturday casts. Several times a year, I air a Saturday episode. That's a conversation with one of our Academy members or listeners. The next regular episode is coming on Monday. So this is a bonus episode for you. The Saturday casts are sponsored and brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a program of working personally with me, of participant leaders creating movement in their leadership development and organizational results. You can discover more and get alerted about future opportunities to apply for the Academy by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy. Today, I'm so pleased to welcome one of the alums of our Academy, Gemma Aguiar. Gemma is the CEO of Design Like Woe. Her firm helps organizations amplify their brand and strengthen their culture through sustainably focused apparel, accessories, and gifts. Her team serves clients by curating meaningful, high-quality projects through partnership with local, minority-owned, sustainable, and mission-driven businesses. And she's also an alum of the Coaching for Leaders Academy. Gemma, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Dave, thank you so much for having me today. It's an honor to be on your podcast, especially after listening for so long. Oh my gosh. And I've had so much fun working with you over this last year. And I love your story of what happened in your business, how you started it, where you are today, where you're going. And I can't wait to get into it and share a bit of it. But I want to first go back a bunch of years because you started your career on a traditional path like many people do. You went to college, got your degree, you started on an entry-level role in marketing and media buying. And I remember you telling me that you one day decided it was time to ask for a raise, a bit more responsibility. That kind of started a different journey for you. What happened when you made that ask? That is right. I didn't begin with the intention of running a business. I was I started my career in media buying and planning and I was a few years into my first job out of college and I decided that I was doing a lot more work than the title that I had. And so I went to my boss and I asked my boss if I could either get a raise or a title change and my boss told me that there was actually a cycle that you had to be on in order to get a raise or a title change. And I was not in that cycle yet. I was a year out. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of looked at my path moving forward and I saw that what I would be, you know, in 10 years is where her, her boss was at. And I thought, I didn't really want to wait 10 years. I want to do something else, you know, differently now. And that's kind of how I started. What happened after that when you realized you didn't want to go down that path that got you started on the business. 
So that was actually one component of it. That was one thought I had. And then on the other side, I was I was feeling a little bit unfulfilled by my career. I was living in Los Angeles right out of college and I was having so much fun in other aspects of my life. I absolutely loved it there, but I just wasn't feeling fulfilled in the career that I was in. So I started a hobby and I always loved fashion. So I thought maybe, you know, creating a line of t-shirts or tank tops could be fun. And that's kind of where I began was with that. So I I started this line of, of t-shirts for fun, just to kind of like fill that void that I had. And they were mocking the Los Angeles lifestyle. So I made some graphics that said, you know, like true love with an image of a phone and a heart or <laughs> statements like wild child or judge me. And I thought these were hilarious. <laughs> and luckily my friends loved them too, because those were some of my first customers. That's awesome. And I, I remember you telling me that uh, at some point you realized you needed some equipment to do this that was bigger than than just, you know, utilizing some of the other uh uh, some of the other suppliers. And this ended up with you having to ask your mom for help. That's right. So while I was living in Los Angeles, I, I started this line. I, I didn't really, there's a lot of things that I was kind of missing. I didn't really have a design background either. And so just to backtrack a little bit, I had a friend at work give me Photoshop and Illustrator. And I I also found out about printing graphics from a roommate of mine. She knew somebody who offered this low volume service in Venice Beach that was using this type of machine that can produce one-off full color prints on demand. And that's called direct-to-garment or digital printing. And so that's what I actually wanted my mom to help co-sign for me. This was a totally new industry. And most people at the time were screen printing, which is a process of pushing ink through a mesh screen and you print colors one by one. And digital was this kind of new edgy process. And the the printer I was using in Venice Beach, he was also really new to this. So he had a really high error rate. And I calculated that he misprinted about 20% of the shirts and the tanks that I brought him. Oh, and wow. yeah, these were expensive and fashionable shirts that I had bought in the garment district. And I was using all of my paycheck at the time to purchase. So I brought this up to him. And what he said back actually changed the trajectory of my life. He said, if this is such a problem, why don't you buy the machine and print them yourself? So so huh. I did. So I took a picture of the machine. I found a distributor. And then I realized that I couldn't pay my apartment rent for one of these machines. These were about $20,000 at the time. So I told my mom that I wanted to move back home to the Bay Area in California where I grew up and move back into my childhood home. And I asked her to help me co-sign a lease for a digital garment printer because I couldn't lease one of these for myself because I was 23 and I had no credit, unfortunately. So she agreed, but she told me she wouldn't pay a dime towards those, those payments that I had. So I'd have to be you know, interviewing the entire time that I was at home. So I had to be doing that as long as I was staying at her house. So you get this equipment and where did, did it go in your mom's house? Did you have an, like, where did it end up? Yeah, I, I put it in a spare bedroom. I had no idea where to put it. <laughs> there, these machines are, are sensitive to temperature, so I couldn't put it in the garage. So I put it in a spare room at her house and I, I kept it in there. And that's kind of where I ran my, my little business. And I, I continued onward with some, that path of making funny shirts. But this time my target was the startup economy. Mm. So since I was now back in Silicon Valley and anyone and everyone who's building a tech company, including a lot of my friends, 
were there, um, I focused my next line on this aspect. And I made sure with statements like bulwark for equity or millionaire on paper. That's awesome. And that's really what got you started on finding customers. And then it grew and you were having fun. And I think it's really fascinating now. Fast forward a number of years. Here you are, the CEO of uh, a team. You're serving clients like Sephora, Meta, the Golden State Warriors. You've done a line of apparel for them, Spotify. How cool is it that like that's just come so far in the last you know, eight, nine years. It's it's so crazy to see, especially with the intention of not thinking about starting a business and starting it more as a hobby. It's it kind of blows my mind to to look at where I was then and where we're at now. You know, we have a team of eleven people. I'm no longer a one woman show. And after that whole line of, of startup designed t-shirts or kind of making fun of startups, we actually started doing company apparel. And so that's, you know, something we're still doing to this day. So that that theme carried on throughout the years. Well, and the other thing that's really neat about this is the way that you did it. And I, I think that we have all had that experience. I know I have many times where I go to a corporate event or a conference and you get the swag bag, right? And there's a ton of stuff in there. And every time I get one of those, I sort of look in and I think like 90% of this, I don't want. <laughs> uh, yeah. And and then I have that awkward feeling of like, well, what am I going to do with it? And I feel bad about throwing it out because I don't want to throw it. So I keep it in like, I for years, I had a shelf where I would keep <laughs> all the swag stuff that I felt bad about throwing out, but I never wanted in the first place. And I think the thing that's really interesting about what you've done from the beginning is how do you help your clients to find things that are investments and things and gifts and apparel that people want and aren't going to throw away? And and also doing it with an eye to sustainability of having minority-owned products, of looking at sustainability, of being a diverse supplier, that so many of the things that we think about on uh, handling the climate well and yet being able to provide the goods and services that so many people want. Like you've really had an eye to all of those as you've been going. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you know, the the branded apparel and the promotional products industry overall is changing for the better. And people are starting to think about the environment and waste from fashion and plastics now. And they're starting to move away from those cheap giveaways. And they want to give products that have more of an impact and that are long lasting and something the recipient wants to hold on to. So that's where we really play a role. And that's what we specialize in. You know, we want you to give your employees and your prospects or your clients something thoughtful and impactful and not something that they're going to throw away. We we care about that connection between you and your end user. And that, that's really what swag is, is that branding opportunity that makes the recipient feel like a part of something more. And we do that by sourcing from minority-owned businesses wherever we can. And we always look for high-quality products, but we're looking for things that work really great for gifting, like chocolates or mugs or candles or blankets. And we also like to offer sustainable products. So we're really looking into the background of those products. We're looking for things that are durable, long-lasting, but we're also looking as to whether they support a mission, like 1% for the planet. And that's actually a certification where the companies donate 1% of their annual sales to environmental causes. And we also look into the background of, of the companies too that we source. Like we look at, do they recycle? Do they upcycle? Do they have environmentally friendly and responsible production processes and efforts? So those are the kinds of things that we look into to differentiate ourselves too. 
as a result, you've had tremendous success, as I mentioned. And that's both good news and bad news. Like it's mostly good news. <laughs> but one of the things that I think is interesting is you've shared with me in the past that you're really good at doing things on your own. When you ever had you whenever you had a team project, you'd kind of take over, direct it, get things moving. You're great with operations, as I think most founders and entrepreneurs are as they're getting something started. And you also shared with me that now being a CEO, it's really different than what you thought you were signing up for when you started. What was different? There are so many things, but I think that that mindset shift of being this builder and this doer to a manager and a delegator is is something that I really had to sign in on and be com- like more comfortable with. And it's such a different skill set too. But I think it, that goes back to not having that intention of starting and running a business and having employees or leading a team. There's You just have to kind of push yourself as the business grows to become that manager and that more of a delegator. And for so long, I was, I was so used to just doing everything by myself. And I think one... Thing that's really helped me was coaching for leaders. That's been such an amazing resource. After I started hiring more people, I realized I was really lacking in that area and had a gap there. And so I went back and I kind of did some research and found your podcast, which has been really helpful for me. Oh, good, good. You know, and I, I want to ask you a little bit more about that because that that was the motivating factor to kind of find the podcast in the first place. I'm curious a little bit though, first of like, what are the challenges that were coming up? What got you to a place where like, okay, I need to find a podcast or resource? Like, what were you facing each day that you weren't finding you had the right resources for? I would say one thing that's was really tough for me was creating a culture of accountability. Because as you move up into a leadership role and in an organization, you have less visibility into the day-to-day and you start seeing less and less, but you're still responsible for 100% of what's going on. So that that part really made me realize I had a gap in that skill set and my priorities really had to shift there. You know, it's, it's so important to be, you know, when you're responsible for yourself and your work, just making sure that you motivate, develop and drive a team in order to reach to drive results for the organization. So I think that's that's something that I realized that I really needed to work on. It's just to hold people accountable without micromanaging. So I would say that's that's one of the biggest factors. Yeah, indeed. I and mean, it's one of the most common things that I hear from our members that they uh, they struggle with because I think like we've all had that manager that's like the micromanagement <laughs> in your face on every little thing and like none of us want to be that person and at the same time we also need to give feedback to coach and mentor too right and like finding that sweet spot between them at some point you decided to apply for the academy so we started working together and starting thinking about you know with you and I and our cohort how do you move forward on the things that are most important and you identified a couple of areas and one of them that you had started with is just being more strategic with your time Tell me a bit more about that. What did you find that wasn't working and what was your intention in being more strategic? Yeah, that was that was something that I wanted to work on throughout our entire time with the cohort. I realized that I throughout my time there that I was spending my time in so many different areas and I was not 
I was letting my days become really long and my, my weeks become long. And so sometimes I would be comfortable with like working a 15 hour day, seven days a week because I wasn't really allocating my time well. So I realized that I really had to shift my priorities and look at where I'm spending my time and make sure that what I'm spending my time on drives the most impact for the company. And that's also part of, of delegation too. So once I realized that and kind of looked at where I should be spending my time, I realized that I need to work on delegating better to different areas of the, the company. And once I did that, that also helped the team grow in their roles because I was giving them more ownership and, and giving more ownership is another component of accountability too. You know, delegation really does have that dual reward, maybe even a triple reward. It's it, it, it's good for the business, it's good for the person's development, and it's also good for you as a leader because it frees you up to do the things that your role specifically can do, and in, in your role, especially as CEO, like the strategy, the big picture. Uh, you know, one of the things we do in the academy is really try to break things down and make them simple to clear the bar each day and start to do some new daily actions. When we got clear on, like, getting more strategic with time, that that was like a key area for you. How did that break down to like how you did that operationally each day? What action did you take? So part of, in part of the academy, we have to create a daily action that it's just something really easy to do and look at each day so that we can stay on track. So the thing that I chose was looking at my calendar. I made it as simple as possible for myself because that's something I'm doing every single day and kind of looking at my to-do list. So I started time blocking. And I started doing that in my calendar. And I'd even go backwards and kind of shift the time that I was working on different things. And so I could look at the time that I was spending. And I would assess that after each week and look at that and then reshift my priorities for the week following. And I think that was really, really helpful for me. It's so crazy how you can do something that seems really straightforward and that you should be doing anyways. And you know, just even taking a closer look at that and then helping it make iterations for, you know, for the future. Yeah, you and I have been together for a year of conversations and problem solving with all of our members of our cohort. And like the thing that I always think is interesting is how often it does come back to something really simple, doesn't it? Like I'm thinking about all the conversations we had of like communication, calendar, looking at the task list each day, but it's it's the consistency then of getting into those habits that really makes the difference. Definitely. Yeah. It is. It really is the consistency and making sure that that's something you're doing every single week. Yeah. When you started looking at the calendar and just becoming more conscious of like, okay, how am I using my time? What did you discover that you wanted to shift? I discovered, I I mean, I already knew my days were pretty long and that's something that I wanted to hone in on and help and kind of fix in a way. And so that's something I kind of confirmed it for me because I now had the data around that. And then I also noticed that I was spending my time in areas that were actually maybe growth opportunities for other roles in the company. So I made a point to, to delegate better. And that's that's something that I started focusing on doing was really just looking at where is my time the most impactful for the company and for our team and making sure that that's where I'm spending my time. And it all, that also took a certain level of comfort for me too, because doing that was so uncomfortable at first because I was so used to doing anything and everything. If somebody had a problem, I'd always be the person to jump in. So I think that was another part of it too, is I just became more thoughtful in general of what I was doing. And I put on, I put down more boundaries also and super, super uncomfortable at first, but it, you know, I got more used to it over time. 
and it's been it's been great i think for our entire team you know it's it's been great for our culture it's been really good just for the company as a whole what got you over that hump of just discomfort and even though it was still there like to actually just start doing it i think that's the key i think it's just putting one one foot in front of the other and just making sure that you're doing that every single week because that's how you know, how goals are achieved. I think it's those little small movements that you make every single week or every day or whatever the time period is that you want to do it. But you'll notice over time that that small thing that you started trying to do becomes the goal you wanted to achieve in the end. Yeah. I remember you showing up for one of the sessions and you had taken yourself out of a couple of regular meetings intentionally. And your team was like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) They were, I went back and I I asked, I was like, I'm no longer, you know, in so many meetings with you. How Uh is that for you? And like, they're, they're very honest, which I love. That's, I love that about my team, but they told me it's, it's actually great. There's no change. We don't, you know, we don't notice you there. Not sure if that's a good thing or a bad (laughs) thing. And I was like, that's a great thing. That's really good. You guys are leading these, you know, these team meetings on your own and you don't need me. And I think that's another component of it too, is realizing that taking myself out of certain aspects of things that I thought where I thought I was needed and letting other people kind of take that ownership and take the reins. They, I think that also, they, they love that as well. Yeah. And I love that culture on your team where you've, uh, you've brought people in and you have the kind of folks that are willing to say that to you. And I, I thought it was really interesting too, that in some cases they were driving kind of your next steps of you were really listening. And one of the things I remember that a number of folks in your team were saying is, Hey, we want you Gemma to be the face of the business. Like we don't need you in these meetings on the daily basis, but we want you to be out there of being the marketing voice of being like leading the messaging around like attracting new business for us. And that's a shift I think like so many leaders need to make, especially an entrepreneur, but it's really different than being the operational person that you were used to being, isn't it? It's so different. And it is a really important shift though, but it it is, I think it's really hard when you start a company and you are that doer and you're the person who's just builds and builds and you're, you're heavy into operations. And then all of a sudden you have to shift your mindset and become something that you weren't. And for me, it was for a long time. It was about, you know, years and years and years of me being this builder and this doer. So the shift in the mindset was really tough, but it's so important for visibility and to get the company out there and so that people know about you. And that's also why we're here because (laughs) I mentioned that I wanted to get better at storytelling and I wanted to start doing more podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. So that's been really great for me. Yeah, I think like you've really moved on that substantially. Like you've had some events where you've been on with the folks at Meta and they're interviewing you. Uh, You've been on TV. You've been on other podcasts that I've heard episodes of you. I mean, it's really amazing like how much you shifted on that just in the last year to really doing a lot of that. And I remember that was one of your early commitments. What is it that got you started on just beginning to do a little bit of that that you weren't doing previously? So I think step one is putting out your intention. And that's what I did in the academy is that was where I I started was I said, this is my intention. This is what I'm trying to do. And you know I'm interested in storytelling. I'm interested in getting the word out. This is not something I normally do. 
And I told that to the team and I've been telling other people. And then once that happens, you'll see opportunities start arising and just jumping on those opportunities. I, you know, I had a opportunity fall into my inbox and somebody asked me to speak on a, a panel for Meta. I said, yes. So, you know, this podcast too, you gave me this opportunity and there's been a couple others, but I, every single thing that comes up is I say yes to, and I show up. And I think that's, that's a huge component of it too. I've been reminded a few times in my career that people often want to help you out, but they don't necessarily know how. And when you are intentional yourself about like what it is you want to need, and then you're also vocal about it with others, it's really interesting. Like I, I just think again and again, we've had several examples this week of our academy members, like all of a sudden things just sort of start to like seemingly magically show up, but it's not magic at all. They were always there, those things. What happens is is you start to notice them more. You see the opportunity. Someone says something in the conversation like, oh, that's exactly what I need to be doing. And you tend to jump on it more when you're intentional. And I think like there's something powerful about just getting that down in writing and being real intentional about that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, one of the things I know you you said to me is that just like that process of writing down the vision, because one of the things we do for context for everyone is um, when we start the academy process is we get down on paper, you know, what does two to three years look like as far as my leadership skills? Where am I better? And that was the framework for you of really beginning that intention, wasn't it? Yep, that's right. That's right. I think that was so such an important exercise to do. I had never done something like that before. I always kind of just moved along a path of what I thought was best for the company, but I never thought years and years ahead. And so actually doing that and outlining where I wanted, how I wanted my life to look in a way helped me then move the pieces, kind of look backwards and move the pieces to put things into place to achieve that. And part of it was kind of controlling my day better and spending my time in more strategic areas. And it's crazy because I put that a couple years out, but today I'm doing this now. So a lot of the things that I wanted for my future, I was actually able to do a lot faster than I thought. And I think a huge part of that is because I set that intention. I really thought about it and I was able to to kind of look back and put together the pieces of how I could achieve that. And I remember you saying that setting boundaries was also a key part of that for you as well. And, you know, you've alluded to that a bit already of like just thinking about like work schedule hours, you know, 14, 15 hour days occasionally, which every entrepreneur does at some point, right? But uh, like at some point you need to stop doing that. All of us like getting into a place of like, okay, how do I get the team to really focus on this better and delegate well? As you started to set boundaries better, what is it that worked? I think having the team be okay with that. I think that was a lot for me because I care a lot about making sure that they're happy and that we have a good, strong culture and stuff like that. And so having the team be okay with that and be willing to take on maybe bigger aspects of the company, I think that was really important for me and helped me reinforce what I was doing. So I would say that's probably the biggest factor there. It's really amazing what's happened and how much the business continues to grow and how successful that you all have been in the midst of some really tough economic times in the last few years with events changing and everything. And yet the business has been thriving. And I'm so proud of you for all that you've done. And you know, so much of it has been really driven by your intention, but also your willingness just to step by step, 
take the daily actions, as you mentioned. And uh, it's going to be really exciting to see how the business continues to grow going forward. I just can't wait to see what happens in the future. Oh, thank you so much. You know that uh, since you've listened to the show for a while, I often ask people what they've changed their minds on. I have a similar version of the question for you, Gemma. If you look over the last year or so of running the business, really stepping into even more of the CEO role, of being really intentional about being strategic with your time and being the face of the business, what's something that you've changed your mind on in the last year or two? I would say asking for help and support and finding people that are able to help me with that. And that a part of that was being in the academy because for so many years, for you know, over 10 years essentially running this business, I never really asked for help or for guidance or for support. I always thought that as a CEO, as a leader, I have to have all the answers. So knowing that now that I don't have to have all the answers and I can lean in on my team or I can lean in on the academy or I can lean in on, you know, a any other sort of coaching, that's been really beneficial for me because that's something I just didn't believe I should be doing before. Gemma Aguiar is the CEO of Design Like Woe and an alum of our academy. Gemma, thanks so much for your work and sharing your story with us. I so appreciate it. Dave, thank you so much for having me. If your organization is seeking a partner for sustainable apparel, accessories, or gifts, I think Gemma and her team would be a wonderful starting point for you. I'm including their email and also website in the episode notes and this week's weekly leadership guide, of course. Thank you again, Gemma, for sharing your story with us. And several related episodes that we'd recommend actually come from Gemma. I asked her after this conversation, what would you recommend that folks listen to coming out of this? And she had several uh, suggestions for us. One of them is episode 230. These coaching questions get results. Michael Bungay-Stanier was my guest on that episode. We talked about his best-selling book, The Coaching Habit, that's invited all of us to be curious a little longer and to ask questions well and how to do that so we can become more coach-like. Gemma purchases that book for her entire team. If your team and you are looking to become more coach-like, uh, episode 237 is a great starting point for you. Also, we recommend episode 306, five Steps to Hold People Accountable with Jonathan Raymond. In that episode, Jonathan and I talked about the accountability dial, the five-step process for really bringing accountability into your organization in a very proactive and effective way. Yes, of course, you can utilize it when things aren't going as expected. Also, you can utilize it when things are going well to reinforce the wonderful behaviors you're seeing inside your organization. It's a simple and powerful process that is utilized by many of you. And if you haven't uh, come across it before, or you're looking for a model on how to bring more accountability in your organization, in your team, episode 306, a great place to start. Gemma also said that episode 329 was especially helpful to her. The way to capture the power of moments. Chip Heath was my guest on that episode. We talked about the mindset of creating wonderful moments for others. And specifically in that conversation, we talked about how to do that on a first day. Uh, many of us remember our first days at organizations, and yet as organizations, often we don't think about how 
How to Make the First Day a Memorable and Positive Experience, episode 329 for more on that. And then finally, Gemma recommended episode 517, How to Define a Role. Pat Griffin from Dale Carnegie joined me on that conversation, and we looked at if you are starting a role from scratch, how do you actually define it? What are the key elements to put that together? Or maybe you have an existing role, but it hasn't been well-defined before. Key competency for managers, especially as an organization and a team is growing as Gemma's is, how do you do that effectively? Episode 517 for that. And then finally, one recommendation from me, I'd recommend episode 431, Align Your Calendar to What Matters. Near Aol was my guest on that episode. We talked about calendar use and time blocking. Gemma mentioned using that tactic in her organization. I think it's an important shift for all of us to consider. If you tend to run your day off of a task list, episode 431, I think it'll help you to pick up some strategic intensities. And intensities, is that the right word? I don't know. But it'll help you pick up something that I think will be really helpful to you. And how you utilize your day well. I use calendar blocking in all of my work. I think episode 431 is a great starting point for you if you're thinking about how to manage your time even more effectively. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. It's going to give you access to all of the free audio courses inside of the uh, member portal, all of the past episodes, searchable by topics. You can find what's most relevant to you right now. And one of the areas that's filed under those past episodes are all of the Saturday casts. I've invited many of our listeners and members over the years to share their stories of what's working in their organizations, of where they've struggled, what they found from the experts who've appeared on the podcast that they've been able to implement and use in their organization. Many of those you can find in the Saturday cast section. I hope you'll dive in and learn with all of us as uh, as uh, we're all walking through this together of how to become more effective as leaders. It's an ongoing process, and we're here to support you in continuing to move forward. In the spirit of that, just a couple days from now, the next episode will air. I'm glad to welcome Lynn Perry Wooten on the next episode. Where to start when inheriting a team in crisis? That is a situation many of us have been in before. It's often hard to know where to begin when you run into that. Lynn and I are going to have a detailed conversation about that. We'll see you back on Monday for that episode. Otherwise, have a great weekend. Take care.